You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi. This is podcast episode number 1048 and Ooh, do we have a good show planned for you. I've been so excited about having this show since I talked to Dr. Farka last week. If you're interested in what is the latest in the economic forecast, then I've invited Dr. Farka here. She's the co-director of the Wood Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting to talk about and give you insights into their 23rd economic outlook and forecast. Dr. Farka, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Thank you, Rick. Always a pleasure. It's awesome. So uh, I heard you and the dean, Dean and Neil Puri, talk last week on this subject. But let's start off. We're going to just kind of I'm cherry picking some of the parts of the report, ladies and gentlemen, that I think you might be most interested in as business leaders across the country. But also, we're going to tell you how you can get the full report if you're interested in that later in the show. So you start off this report with a very hopeful tone regarding the current political leadership and the potential policies in Washington, D.C., so this is not a political question, but as a trained economist, what is the foundation for your optimism relative to the potential policies coming out of D.C.? So, so in a sense, actually, uh, that's, that, that, that's a very important question. With these things that the economic outlook uh, going forward depends largely on the policies that will be enacted uh, in Washington, both on the fiscal side and on the monetary policy side. I know, I know we're going to talk more about monetary policy in a little bit, but in the fiscal side, the, uh, the report itself, and even the way we kind of uh, discussed this issue at the conference last week, it was mostly a tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, proposition. We did think the out, I mean, at the beginning of the year with the uh, majorities in the Congress, uh, both in the Congress and the Senate and the Republicans, and also the White House uh, uh, having Republicans, we did... There was quite a bit of euphoria early in the year about a number of reforms and a raft of things that uh, Congress was and, and the administration were supposed to work on: tax reform, regulatory reform, health care reform. Uh, and in a sense, so that was the euphoria that it started with. Uh, in a sense, we've seen very little uh, done. So that has more of a sense of it. You know, so what we're trying to convey there is more of a sense of disappointment that we've got very little done. But we haven't given up hope altogether. Uh, some of the some of the direction is correct. For example, on the regulatory side, we've seen some things enacted, some regulations that were uh, put in place by the previous administration, especially the last year, have been rolled back somewhat. Uh, of course, you have to be prudent about those things, but these things have kind of rolled back a little bit. Uh, well, we haven't seen much in terms of the tax reform or even the health care uh, repeal and replace. That, that sort of went nowhere. So the hopeful tone was mostly about sort of the directional shift that would be more pro-growth and pro-business. So we're talking with Dr. Mira Farka. She is the co-director for the Wood Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting. So, again, I just want to make sure my audience understands. I'm not asking you to say anything political. I'm asking you for a dispassionate economist look at what the economy could benefit from policies. And so that's the reason for that question. Sure, no, okay. and, and I'd be more than happy to elaborate further. I mean, uh, uh, I you know, tax reform I think is the number one sort of in, in the agenda. And I think uh, they they're taking up on it. They're actually going to look into it. We still have to wait and see what's going to come out. 
but certainly, especially on the corporate side, that's a very important uh, uh, change in direction. I mean, corp- uh, corporate taxes, if the, the uh, marginal rate is about 35%, is the highest in OECD. OECD average is about 22.5%. So we're not even at the OECD average. So even if uh, they lower the corporate tax rate, for example, uh, it's going to be harder to fit to the 20% that they've actually that they've proposed. Our view is going to be somewhere in the 25-28% range, but that by itself will bring it closer to the OECD average. So those are important shifts. And again, the tax reform itself, we think the bigger bang for the buck, if you know they get their act together and they do pass a bill, the bigger bang for the buck will be on the corporate side and the small business side rather than the individual side. And um, I had a listener ask me to have you uh, explain what the acronym was that you said. I think it was OACD. OECD. Right? OECD. The organization for the OECD, right? The Advanced Economies. There are about 24 uh, countries, actually, that, that fall into there. Those are the most advanced economies that fall in that definition. Okay. So U.S. certainly is one of those countries, but we do have the highest corporate tax rate. Uh, among all of the other industrialized advanced economies. Okay, so I want to just let everyone know in the audience we're not going to be getting close to what might be viewed as a political endorsement or conversation. We're actually going to turn our attention to something else. You detail in the report how well the U.S. economy has been doing, and you see positives in foreign markets as well. I mean, can you highlight how the European and the Asian economies are doing? It's almost like as you talked, you and the dean talked last week, there was a lot of positive information that you were able to give about varying economies around the world, and I just wanted you to help my audience to see what you're seeing. Right, and I mean, and, and, and that's one of the big changes that has happened this year compared to last year. Uh, things are looking better, not just at home, fundamentally speaking, uh, leaving aside Washington and politics. But even if things are looking better at home, the U.S. economy is firing in more cylinders, but so is the global economy. Just to go over in detail a bit more, Eurozone seems to have kind of woken from this deep sleep that's been over the last, uh, really, seven years since the crisis, since the sovereign crisis that they experienced. Uh, uh, and, and they've been on the brink of recession a few times since that. In fact, the Eurozone economy performed better than the U.S. last year. U.S. grew by 1.6%, Eurozone by 1.8%. Earlier this year, Eurozone economy also performed better, although the U.S. has come back roaring the second half of the year. Uh, and, 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 and again, and, and the crisis seems to be more of a background, but improvement in Europe seems to be widespread. Business confidence is up. Uh, consumer confidence, consumer spending is up. Business investment seems to be up. But the good news is elsewhere as well. Same thing happened in Asia. Japan has had a good raft of data the last six quarters. In fact, it has put together a string of growth for six straight quarters, something they didn't do for the last 10 years. Right. Uh, so, 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 and again, there as well, it seems to be things seem to be both consumer spending and business investment. China, which was a big worry last year about, because uh, people were concerned that uh, they were actually going to slow down dramatically. Uh, they've been managed to do very well, still growing at about 65 to 7% rate. In fact, every quarter, that growth rate seems to be closer to 7% wow. than 65 So things are going back. Now, China is a bit of a different story because, of course, a lot of it is done through government largesse. So they kind of, the government kind of encouraged uh, increases in uh, credit expansion, which had its own issues because it makes 
potentially create a debt bubble, which we think it has. Um, but for the time being, things are looking well, looking good all around. So uh, Dr. Farka has been on this program since it was she was struggling to find any good news during the Great Recession. And my, how far we've come over the years. I have a, about two minutes before our break, but I wanted to, without getting too wonky, could you help my audience of business owners and CEOs to, to, by explaining what is meant by the Fed's balance sheet, especially as it relates to their holdings and investments? Right. So one of the things that the Federal Reserve did to, uh, right after the crisis, in fact, since the height of the crisis in 2008, and early, especially early 2009, and then two more times ever since, was uh, to buy large-scale asset purchases. That's what they call it, the LSAP program, right? So they purchased uh, MBSs, the mortgage-backed securities. These were the uh, those toxic instruments that were in trouble because of the housing crisis. Uh, they own right now, and they buy buying them uh, in, in waves since 2009. They stopped buying in October 2014. So when it comes to MBSs, they own about uh, $1.7 trillion, which is about oh, almost 30% of the market. Uh, they also purchased, uh, of course, uh, they even uh, did even a mar- much larger purchase on the Treasury securities with different maturities. Uh, first, it was short-term and then longer-term maturities, about $2.6 trillion of that, and that's about 17 18% of the market. So the balance sheet of the Fed basically exploded from about $800 billion prior to the recession to about $4.5 trillion right now. And since then, they've kept it constant since October 2014 when they stopped purchasing. They've kept it constant at that rate by reinvesting the proceeds. Uh, from uh, from the Treasury and the uh, and, and the FBS securities. Of course, now they're in the verge of doing exactly the opposite and unwinding uh, their balance sheet. This helped the economy because overall, all this government, all the Fed policies, uh, there's a lot of research on this in the area, but research has seems to have discovered that all of the quantitative easing probably lowered interest rate, long-term interest rates by about one percentage point, wow. which mattered especially in cases when the economy is having such tough times, not only during the recession, but during the very anemic recovery. So we're talking with Dr. Mira Farkas. She's co-director for the Woods Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting. We're looking at some of the content of the 23rd Economic Outlook and Forecast. We're going to take a very short break here on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. And Mira, when we come back, I want to build on the question you just answered by in your report, you identify the need for the Fed now to start reducing its balance sheet, but you also highlight this is an unprecedented act, and you know we've not seen this before, and there's a lot of risks if the Fed doesn't do it correctly. So could could you be willing to share a little bit about what you talked about at the forecast and what you wrote about when we come back from this commercial break? Absolutely. I'd be more than happy. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. For our loyal listeners, you know this is like a 30-second snapshot. We'll be back after this word from me. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm 
and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. And so during that break, some of the loyal listeners were asking, who is the young man here in the studio with me? Well, we're going to tell you after I take. A great way to stay informed about our guests is to sign up for our weekly newsletter, ladies and gentlemen. Simply visit criticalmassforbusiness.com. At the bottom of any page, any page, is a join our mailing list box. Simply type in your email address, hit subscribe. Like magic, you'll start receiving our weekly newsletter with powerful information about our upcoming guests like Dr. Farka. We only use it to give you our newsletter. We do nothing else with your email, so please, I would encourage you to subscribe so this ladies and gentlemen is alec enrico he is a student at the local university and studying kind of broadcasting and he asked if he could come into the studio and see how this new media is operating so he's here as our guest and we love having him in the studio but on the phone and on our focus guest is dr mira farka she is the co-director for the woods center for economic analysis and forecasting we're talking just around the edges really about the 23rd annual economic forecast outlook and forecast so before the break i said you write that the fed needs to reduce its balance sheet and you highlight this is unprecedented act you know what what's the risks if the fed does this incorrectly to small business and business owners across the country well i mean it's uh, easy to understand that that things could go wrong very quickly um same way that quantitative easing as I mentioned prior to the break, sort of pushed the economy forward in terms of lowering interest rates and kind of revving up the economy uh, as well. It's it's largely contributed to the asset price increases that we've seen, almost 300% in the stock market gains. But, you know, the reverse could also have the the reverse impact. It's easy to understand. One of the fears is that, number one, we've never been here before. It's uncharted territory. It's unprecedented territory. But uh, second, you know, the, the fear is that if the Fed unwinds its, its balance sheet too fast, too quick, uh, in a jerky manner, then interest rates may spike up. I mean, you have a sellout in the Treasuries and the bond market, and interest rates may spike up, and that would be pretty much the end of this recovery. It will actually snap the life out of the recovery. Uh, we don't think that, I mean, that's certainly a huge risk. So we have the Fed move. Uh, as one of the main risks in our forecast, we don't think this is our this is not our baseline. We think the Fed will proceed um, sort of in a in a slow, well telegraphed manner. They've they've laid out their plans. They told us they will unwind their balance sheet uh, by ten billion uh, over the next three months, and then increase that by another ten billion three months after that, and so on. I, I, I reach until it reaches fifty billion, and then slowly they'll continue to sort of unload. Uh, the treasures and the MBSs. But nonetheless, I mean, we have to understand that by the time the process is done, it will take them about eight years to unload all the mortgage-backed securities. It will take them longer to unload all the treasuries. And our, our simple calculation shows that, you know, even by 2021, so four years down the line, the balance sheet will still be big. It will be from $4.5 trillion to around $3 trillion. So we're still, I think uh, this is still uh, large balance sheets, 
low interest rates will still be with us for times to come. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay, and we should get used to that uh, to that idea. We're talking with Dr. Mira Farka, and uh, I always enjoy our conversations because economics is sort of this puzzle of interconnectedness, and no one element stands on its own. They're, they all sort of influence and affect each other, and you do a marvelous job of helping our audience of business owners to sort of understand the complexity without getting too complex. Um, one of the structural issues that we've talked about, unfortunately, feels like for years, uh, Mira, <laughs> is this idea of workforce participation of men in their prime earning years. And unfortunately, your latest report shows no real improvement in this cohort's participation rate. Um, can you help my audience of business owners and executives to understand what's the implications to the U.S. economy if this continues? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the biggest issues. And again, I, I, I love your show because we always discuss not only about what's going on, but also these structural issues that have asked for years, for example. This is one of them. Uh, one of the things that we, something new we discover um, when we're looking a little bit deeper at the data preparing this forecast is that uh, the recovery has been very uneven. But one interesting unevenness was um, between women and men. For example, since the start of the recovery, uh, if you look at employment gaps compared to 2007, so prior to the recession, right? If you look at employment gaps for women, it was close. These are all adjusting for demographic changes, because you have to keep that in mind, the population is, is aging. But adjusting for demographic changes, the, the gap for women had been closed, but not so much for men. So we're still so, 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 and that's because some of the jobs we've created during this recovery, but it just goes even further back is that we've created a lot more jobs in healthcare versus manufacturing. Going back to historically, for example, even 20 years ago, healthcare employment was about 11 million nationwide. It's now almost double that, almost 21 million. The opposite happened in manufacturing. Back in 97, we had 18 million manufacturing jobs. We now have about 12 million. So the 6 million jobs are completely gone. There's been a little bit of uptick lately, but not that much. So certainly, prime-age men, uh, who went, who, again, sort of low-skill, low-education, but certainly would get jobs in manufacturing. These are good, well-paid jobs, good wages. Uh, they're no longer getting those jobs, and that's the biggest secular issue that we're facing. Again, it goes a bit further back. It goes uh, uh, about two decades or so, uh, but it really ramps up during the recession. In fact, if you look at the numbers, our calculations show that probably about 5 million prime-age working men, so that would be you know, those men between 25 and 54 years old, that's your prime earn, earning years, about 5 million of them who should be in the labor market and they're not. Um, if you look at the employment levels, so even those who are actually looking for jobs, in other words, who would be unemployed, uh, there's about 2 million of those who are unemployed looking for jobs. So these are discouraging trends, and certainly a society that is not able to answer an important question like, what do you do? with 5 million discouraged men and another 2 million men that are looking for jobs and can't find them, uh, is likely to face uh, deeper issues. And I'm afraid that we will see some social issues, right, pop up. Uh, we've seen them already uh, with the opioid uh, epidemic and, and so on and so forth. So uh, we certainly need to do a better job. We're one, of the, we're, we're one of the countries that have done the worst in terms of enticing men to come back to work. We don't do a good job at training training workers, especially men, who have been displaced by these forces of technology and globalization. 
Uh, we don't have any good programs. We don't, the programs are not really well funded. Uh, we need an apprentice program, which we've talked about in the show in the past, and we haven't quite got there yet. But certainly more money, more effort should be spent. Even at the business, uh, 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 at, at the local level, businesses and community colleges and colleges should work together to create training for this, sort, uh, for this segment of population because they're truly hurting. You know, that um, this conversation, unfortunately, is all too familiar, but the new data that I heard from you at the conference that I, you might have said it before, but I didn't hear it this time was that when you look around the world, the United States stands out as a, com- as a country that's done the worst job at getting this workforce participation back in line. Uh, and, and for me, that the good news is that means other countries have figured out something to do to address this, and maybe we could learn from their programs and practices. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, the numbers are staggering. I mean, uh, if you compare going back to the turn of the millennium, since we passed them, Japan, for example, has increased participation rates for prime age by 4.1% points. UK, France has increased by 1.6%. All of the advanced economies, only for only the U.S. is exceptional in the sense that only in the U.S. we've seen a drop of about 2.7 percentage points uh, compared to the rest of the countries. So we certainly, I mean, there's certainly things we could do that other countries are doing that we're actually not doing. Uh, at least we're not doing them correctly. Uh, to help the uh, this the prime age men, the 25 to 64 year old men, who are certainly not having, uh, who have been in a secular downtrend for a while, really going back since the turn of the millennium. And, and so, for the people that are in their 50s, it's like it, it's been 20 years of this for them. So, yeah, it it, right. be, it becomes the right. normal, the new normal now for them. So, right. it's, it's become almost a decade. Yeah. Mira, if someone would like to get the more detailed, and hold on, for those that are watching us on Facebook Live, here is the copy of the report. It is a great read. I'm telling you, it is actually enjoyable. I hear your voice in the way this thing is written. It's feel, I feel like you're, you're telling it to me. So, General, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, you should want to get a copy of this report. How would they get that report if they want the economic outlook and forecast? Sure. The report has a lot more details, including our uh, detailed numbers of the U.S. economy and all of the uh, and the local economy, all the six counties of the Southern California. The report is free, and it's uh, posted online. You can get it under, and I'll, I'll read the, uh, the URL. It's business.fullerton.edu forward slash center forward slash economic analysis and forecasting, one word. It's very easy to get. It's free, and we always uh, post. Uh, we have a number of other reports. We post there in our national trade reports, OCBX, which is our survey of local businesses, will tell us what their biggest concerns are. So there are a number of free reports that are available to our listeners. And Dr. Farker will be speaking at the Center Club here in Orange County in January, and I'll get some information out to the community as well. Yes. If, if you if you want to have a breakfast meeting and have an interesting time and have the economy explained to you. No one better here in Orange County than to listen to Dr. Mira Farka. Thank you for your continued support of our radio show podcast. You're a, a clear member and friend of the community, and it's always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure. I always enjoy it. Thank All right. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, none other than Mr. Paul Roberts. Our producers are Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. If you'd like to connect with me on Twitter, I am CEO Peer Groups. 
LinkedIn and YouTube. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And my website is criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.